Coming up on The Exam Room. We have to recognize that biologically we come from a place where we evolved not shopping at supermarkets and cooking on a stove and having limitations in terms of what the food system is providing to us. You know, we come from a place, Chuck, where we were we were gatherers. We were out there picking up and, you know, finding our food. And there are 300,000 edible plants on this planet. And we were consuming a wide variety of them. And now here we are, and our food system wants to kind of contract this down to 70 or 75% of the calories that come from plants in your supermarket come from just three plants, wheat, corn, and soy. And that's not trashing those foods, by the way. Wheat, corn, and soy specifically, it's more so that our food system is trying to consolidate into a limited number of plants. So if we want to eat a wide variety, it has to come from us. We have to be the ones to make that choice. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Hartford, Connecticut, Goodyear, Arizona, and Surat, India. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 59 of season 6, number 455 overall. Variety is the spice of life. But when it comes to food, could it also be the spice of a healthy life? How many different foods should you be eating? You know, you need one nutrient from this food and another from that food, and you do that a bunch of times over and over, and the thought is that you get everything you need from eating a well-balanced diet, and that will keep you healthy. So today, we are going to try to quantify that with the gut health MD himself, Dr. B, the fiber-fueled king. Dr. Will Bolsowitz is back with us. He was my guest on the exam room live this week. So interesting conversation as we try to really crunch numbers here. But then beyond that, it's not really all that simple because we get into another conversation about what constitutes a food in the first place. We were talking about ultra processed food and whether the corn that's found in something like Doritos would even count on your weekly tally. And to that end, do spices count? Plus, we open up the doctor's mailbag and had a nice question about whether white and brown rice actually count the same, or are they unique plants on their own? Plus, artificial sweeteners and gut health. Of course, sweeteners all the talk right now in the health news. So we're going to be looking at that from a gut health perspective and a shocking admission, by the way, from Dr. Bolsowitz about how much sweetener he used to use back in the day. And so when you hear his total and you think, man, I could never take that out of my diet. <laughs> think again, my friend. So let's get to it right now with the Gut Health MD, our friend, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Welcome back to the show, my man. Thank you, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, everyone. My man. So this 
topic today, as far as variety being the spice of a healthy life, this was actually from a viewer by the name of Holly who wrote in, and she said, how much variety do we need in our diet to be healthy? How much do we need for a healthy gut? Because she says, Dr. B, she really tends to eat the same things every day, even though they are, in fact, healthy foods. Many of us do that, Chuck. We're creatures of habit. You know, We enjoy the meals that we are familiar with. And we don't like rocking the boat in terms of necessarily having to like figure out how to cook a new thing. Um, but at the same time, uh, these uh, are the laws of nature. And we have to recognize that, you know, biologically, we come from a place where we evolved not shopping at supermarkets and cooking on a stove and having limitations in terms of what the food system is providing to us. You know, we come from a place, Chuck, where we were. We were gatherers. We were out there picking up and, you know, uh, finding our food. And there are 300,000 edible plants on this planet. And we were consuming a wide variety of them. And now here we are, and our food system wants to kind of contract this down to, you know, 70, 75, 70 or 75% of the calories that come from plants in your supermarket come from just three plants wheat, corn, and soy. And that's not trashing those foods, by the way, wheat, corn, and soy specifically. It's more so that our food system is trying to consolidate into a limited number of plants. So if we want to eat a wide variety, it has to come from us. We have to be the ones to make that choice. All right. Now let's quantify that. So you've got wheat, corn, soy, that's three, but I'm guessing, man, to really maximize that health, get it to the next level, you're going to need that by many multiples here. I've seen the number 30 thrown around quite a bit when it comes to diversity in the diet. Is that the magic number every seven days? Uh, yeah. So that, let's talk about that. That's a very good question. In some ways, this is the magic number. Um, it's nice to sort of in your mind have a threshold of where you're trying to get to. This is coming from the actual science that that shows us that eating a wide variety is in fact the right choice in terms of supporting a healthy gut. We're talking about the American Gut Project, Chuck. Uh, any person who's read one of my books or you've listened to me on podcasts or frankly have been tuning into the exam room and you're, you're, you know the conversations that you and I have, They've heard me talk about diversity, diversity of plants. And this, this concept comes from the American Gut Project, which was actually an international study, not just the United States. More than 11,000 people, more than 15,000 microbiome specimens. And they ultimately like, put these numbers into an equation. And they allowed that equation to basically spit out and tell us what predicts a healthy gut above anything else. And the answer to that question was the diversity of plants in your diet, specifically the people who were consuming more than 30 plants per week had the healthiest guts in the study. And this is an important point because honestly, like regardless of what dietary pattern you followed, this was important. So whether you were vegan or pescatarian or vegetarian or an omnivore, either way, Eating 30 different varieties of plants per week was the factor that was associated with the healthiest guts. And I think that's an important message for people. 
Let's kind of unpack that a little bit further because I think back to the old 10,000 calorie a day, Chuck, and I'm, I'm like, like trying in my mind to add up the number of plants that I was eating. And certainly it was nowhere near what I am today. But just by the sheer volume of food, there was in fact a wide variety there. So is it possible to get that same kind of biodiversity that you're talking about, regardless of whether or not you're eating junk food or you're really eating that healthy uh, diet like a, a lot of us listening and watching today are trying to eat. I would imagine my gut, if you go under the hood and look at the microbiome then versus now, looking much different. Oh, I think there's no doubt about that, Chuck. There's no doubt about that. And I think to to your point, you know, let's take the ten thousand calories as an example. I mean, yes, to consume ten thousand calories, you're eating a lot of food, and as a part of that, you may have had variety within your diet. But let's think about it a bit, like putting things on a scale of balance. And on that scale of balance, you can overweight the negative side, the side that includes, you know ultra-processed foods that are filled with additives that in many cases we don't know what they do, but in some cases, many cases, we discover that these additives that are put into ultra-processed foods are in fact causing harm to our microbiome or in fact causing harm to our body in some other way. Um, so you can overload it with ultra-processed foods, you can overload it with things that contain zero fiber, such as animal products. And you know, on the case of animal products, that includes uh, ones that are of even worse nutritional value because they're somewhere between ultra-processed and animal products, and that would be the processed meats. Um, so, you know, when we think about it, like you could put have this type of food that's making up the majority of your diet, and that actually is what's happening in the United States as we speak right now. So, sixty percent of calories in the United States come from ultra-processed foods. And about 20% of our calories come from animal products. And it's leaving behind only 10%, 10%, which is the type that we actually want. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. Because those whole plant foods contain the fiber, the polyphenols, the phytochemicals. And yes, they also contain the protein and the healthy fats and the vitamins and the minerals, the things that we're looking for. So everything that, you're, that you really need is ultimately on this side over here. But the problem is like, we have really disproportionately messed up the scale when we're weighing it down with 90% of our calories coming from stuff that is not the food that actually feeds our microbiome. And so what we want to do is we want to lift off of this side, the side that's weighing us down. We want to lift off of this side and put it over here on the side that's good. This is why I preach a diet that is 70, 80, 90, or 100% plant-based. Because when we do this, anytime you start cranking up your plant-based intake, you are by, by default going to be removing stuff from the side that's weighing, weighing you down in a negative way. All right. So let me ask you this then. Um, somebody signs up, say, for your masterclass on your website and they send you a message or they hit you up with your weekly meetings and they say, well, hey, you know, is my gut getting any sort of the benefit from the corn that's say in like, I don't know, a Dorito 
versus the corn that is on that corn on the cob, so to speak. How does the gut treat that differently? And would you even count that corn that was in the Dorito toward the number of different plants that you're eating every week? I would not. I would not count that towards the number of plants that you're eating in a given week. And that the reason why is because I can't count foods that are ultra-processed foods. You know, the number of ingredients for corn should be one. And I don't know how many ingredients there are in a bag of Doritos. It's been a while since I've had Doritos. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, seriously, I'm pretty sure if you check it, there's at least 10 ingredients. Corn is one of them. And then here's all this other stuff. And what does the other stuff even do? Frankly, in most cases, we just don't know. And it's not fair, from my perspective, it's not fair to take uh, animal model studies where that happens for a week, you feed the animal whatever it is for a week, and the animal is still alive, so you say the food is safe. That is not the same as a human being exposed to this food a couple times a week for decades. It is not the same. So I, I think that like we have to separate. We can't like accept ultra-processed foods as the same as being whole foods. And the, the other thing that I want to add real quick, Chuck, is that um, there's a difference between ultra-processed and processed. So ultra-processed is when, I mean, to make it as simple as possible, you are creating food that has to be created in a food laboratory by a food scientist, that it is not possible, not possible for you to create ultra-processed foods in the convenience of your own kitchen. What is possible is to produce processed foods, and processed can mean a lot of different things. And that can include cooking the food. That can include chopping the food. Right, like these are basic things that we do to our food. When we process our food, the food does in fact change. But when we process it to the point that corn stops being corn, it's not even recognizable, and it's now been transformed into this chip. That we have taken that food to a point where the fiber is not the same. The polyphenols are like if they're there at all, they're barely there. Um, basically, we've stripped the nutritional value, and we've what we've now done is added in these chemicals. Even if the ingredient, in this case, in a Dorito, corn is the first ingredient listed, meaning it's the most prevalent ingredient in the entire food. It's been bastardized, sorry, apologize for the language. It's been bastardized to the point where your gut basically is not going to recognize it as anything anywhere close to that original corn that was grown from the ground. First of all, I accept your apology, Chuck. <laughs> um, second of all, the the thing about it is let's let's keep in mind that there are many things that we are exposed to on a routine basis that micrograms or milligrams can be all that we need, can be too much or more than we need. So the fact that corn is the first ingredient and then all there's these all these other chemicals that are added in in milligrams or even micrograms again it may still be enough to be completely problematic for your gut microbes. And there is no requirement by the Food and Drug Administration to test the effects of food on the microbiome prior to these chemicals or these foods being added to our food system. So this type of testing does not exist. All right, and just for grins here before we uh, move on here and take another question, uh, I, I pulled up the list of ingredients for, for Doritos 
on my okay. handy dandy phone here. Let's uh, you tell me from the gut health perspective how healthy this is. Mind you, uh, there are uh, by my count twenty seven ingredients, some of which are themselves made up of multiple ingredients. Uh, so we have corn. Okay, I got that. I can I have that in my kitchen. All right, vegetable oil, which is a blend of corn, canola, and sunflower oil. Don't love it, but I do have that in my kitchen. Maltodextrin, made from corn. Don't have that one. Uh, salt, cheddar cheese, which is... Oh, I mean, you could get that. Yeah. Then they have whey, monosodium glutamate, a.k.a. MSG, buttermilk, Romano cheese, whey protein concentrate. I mean, it's unnatural. You have to, to be able. To, you can you can get that, but it's unnatural. Onion powder, corn flour. <laughs> this is so vague. I I never like these natural and artificial flavors, and they never tell you anything else, man. It is a guessing game. Uh, dextrose is in there. Okay, sure. Tomato powder. Okay, fair. I'm up to ten. Lactose. No, uh, that's isolated. Okay. Spices. That's all they say. Spices. They don't tell you what kind. They just say yeah. spices. Artificial color. And would you like to take a uh, a stab? We'll set the over under on how many different artificial colors there are in this. Oh dear. Just tell me. Three. Three is a good number. So you've got two shades of yellow. You've got both yellow number six and yellow number five from the Crayola box, as well as red number 40. Uh, uh, yeah. I know yellow number five is definitely problematic for the gut microbiome. I believe red number 40 is as well. Good to know. Lactic acid, citric acid, sugar, garlic powder. You already had dextrose. Yeah. You need to have sugar too. Pile it on. Skim yeah. milk, red and green bell pepper powder, disodium inosinate. I don't know that one. And disodium guan guanolate. I don't know that one either. But that's it, man. There's your 27. Okay. So, I mean, there's uh, hypothetically like about 10 ingredients, most of which are powders and are in and of themselves pretty darn processed if not borderline ultra processed in the in in their own right um but then you have all of this stuff that is just like i don't even know what is going on there <laughs> and it, it, it gets turned into a chip and i i was raised in the 80s and this is the food that we ate i mean this is the food that i ate growing up mm. oh you the problem is i think that we made a mistake we we uh, made the assumption that it was perfectly fine you know what blows my mind is for m how much they tout corn, corn, corn with these. You know, like these are corn tortilla chips. The amount of fiber that's in this is yeah, scant. Yeah, how much? One gram per serving. So just how many servings in there? Uh, one ounce serving is about twelve chips. So that's one of those like ninety-nine cent bag type deals that you would get at a gas station. But you know, who eats just one of those, right? Most of us will get the family size bag and just go to town. That's amazing. Yeah. One gram of, one gram of fiber. <laughs> yeah. So like literally you can get one of those big bags, you know, say it's got like five servings in it and you're still only getting five grams despite the fact that it's a corn product. Right. Right. Exactly. Or you could, or you could eat a quarter of a cup of beans and have more fiber. <laughs> Just saying.
just say, hey, but you know what? Let's not shortchange the red and green bell pepper powder that was in there as well. That's got to have some fiber too, right? Come on. Yeah, and the multiple shades of yellow because one shade of yellow is apparently not enough anymore. Right, right. Yellow number six in particular is fiber fueled. I mean, it's just so much. Don't put those things together on your job. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That look, man. There is zero fiber in yellow number six. People, that was just tongue and cheek as it gets, man. Oh man. So, bottom line is this, right? Somebody starts to work with you, and somebody wants to clean up their health, Doctor B. I'm like, all right. Right now, even though I eat a pretty healthy diet, I'm really only eating about 15 or so different plants a week. How would you recommend them beginning to introduce and ramping up that amount where you're like, well, just double it up. Variety is the spice of life. Just go crazy and see what you like. Or have you find like a, uh, have you found that a more methodical approach to ramping things up is the best approach? Well, I'm very, first of all, I'm very open to the fact that there are many different approaches to this question that you're asking me and certain people like I, what makes sense to me may not make sense to everyone. There's some people who are like, I want to go all in all at once. Right? And if that's the way you are, then go for it. We want more plants. What I don't want is I don't want you to start aggressively uh, transforming your diet and then not feeling well because it was sort of too much of a change too fast. Not feeling well and then being like, oh, this plant-based thing, like Dr. B is full of it. Dr. B's, you know, Dr. B has told me to eat this diet thinking it's going to improve my gut and it's made my gut less healthy. It's not true. Your your gut just needs an opportunity to adapt to the dietary changes in the same way that when you go to the gym, you don't just like instantly start lifting the heaviest weights, you ease your body into it. You work towards that goal over a period of time. So, Chuck, you know, if you're the type of person who's had who's eating 15 plants per week, I want you to know first of all, that's about 3 times more than I was eating about 10 years ago. And you should start at 15 and start to work your way up slowly. So just look for opportunities this week to add a couple of new things to your diet. Um, And if we get it up to 20 or 25, somewhere in that range, gosh, you should feel really good about yourself because you've made progress. And progress is a path. You are walking the path towards improvement where you will cross the line of 30 and it just may not happen instantly. But slowly over the course of time, Chuck, you get to 30. Why would you stop at 30? There's no, just because the study said 30 doesn't mean you should stop at 30. Why not 35? Why not 40? Every single plant has its own unique mix of fiber, phytochemicals, polyphenols, vitamins, minerals, protein, healthy fats that are intended to support your body, to nurture your body, to make it more healthy. And so as a result of that, when we consume a wide variety of plants and we mix them together, we are really truly creating a diet that um, is unstoppable because the more variety that you have, the more that you got your bases covered with as many different nutrients as possible. Let's take a question from Slim who sent this one in ahead of time. Interesting one. They're wondering in particular about the difference between brown and white rice for gut health. Um, before you answer that, just out of curiosity, would you count each one of those as an individual plant in that uh, weekly tally or um, are they virtually the same thing here? Well. White rice, so, you know, look, in, in some ways we're splitting hairs a little bit. Right. Um, so, like, I, I wouldn't want a person, for example, to go and buy uh, Dave's Killer Bread, which, by the way, I like, but buy Dave's Killer Bread, which, you know, advertises that it's got 21 different plants 
and in every single slice and you eat one slice and then you say, I'm already up to 21, Dr. B. Like that's not the way that this works and you're shortchanging <laughs> yourself, right? Because it's not about scores. It's about actually your body and achieving better health. And so when you look at this choice, brown rice and white rice, there is a difference. Um, actually, the differences are kind of interesting. So part of it is that when we create white rice, we actually are stripping away a lot of the fiber, stripping away a lot of the additional nutrients, stripping away a lot of the protein. What you end up with is more of a starchy, like pure starch, pure carbohydrate form that's very low on fiber. Very easy for people to digest, for people to have digestive health problems. It's much easier to digest than brown rice is going to be. Um, that being said, uh, brown rice, higher in fiber, higher in protein, higher in vitamins and minerals, actually also can be a little bit higher. This is going to perhaps, like I, I want to unpack this, a little bit higher in arsenic. So arsenic is a heavy metal that is found in the ground and it can concentrate in rice. And so with brown rice, it concentrates a little bit more than it does with white rice. Um, this doesn't scare me off. I don't stop consuming brown rice as a result of this. What I do is I diversify my grain sources so that I'm not consuming brown rice every single day. I consume it once in a while. I, I like other grains more, to be honest with you. Farro, quinoa, sorghum, taff, amaranth. Those are just a couple. Interesting. Yeah, I, we, we get that question about arsenic and brown rice actually quite a bit. It, is it possible to say, well, you should limit it to two servings a week, three servings a week, one serving a week? Like, what what is your comfort level? I, you know, that's a good question. I haven't spent enough time in the data to say that here, like, here is the number. I think from my perspective, if you're having three servings a week of brown rice, uh, to me, it would suggest that you probably have an opportunity to diversify and add some other stuff in there. Because um, that to me would be quite a bit. So uh, one serving a week of brown rice, I'm really not worried about at all. Again, I haven't spent enough time digging into the data to like, give a hard number. But I, I, to me, it's about looking for diversity. All right, let's go ahead and broaden up the scope of the conversation here today. You know, a lot has been made of artificial sweeteners recently. I'm sure that you've seen a lot of this stuff in the news, on the blogs recently, right, on artificial sweeteners. So Joe certainly has gotten caught up in that, and she is wondering what impact a lot of these artificial sweeteners we've been hearing so much about, what impact do they have on gut health? Well, I, they're certainly not beneficial. I mean, I think that's, that's the important point. You know, I... Uh, there are people who will make compelling arguments for why we should like have artificial sweeteners in our food supply because they're comparing them as a as a substitute for sugar, and that's a quite debatable topic. Like, what's worse, artificial sweeteners or sugar? And like that to me, that question is a bit silly. Why either? Why do we have to go there? Why can't we go without? Why can't we look at more whole food-based uh, alternatives? So um, I think the point from my perspective is looking, you know, like a, a classic example, Chuck, is beverages. And the reason why is because, like I used to be probably a two-liter Diet Mountain Dew habit per day back in the day. Were you a big 
soda drinker, Chuck? I would not consider myself to be a big soda drinker, but man, when you said Diet Mountain Dew, I immediately flash back to when they released that and the soda company sent, Pepsi sent so many cases of that to the radio station where I was working. And I got hooked on that in a hurry, man. I was pounding like four cans a day until those supplies were depleted. Yeah, exactly. So if you're used to like consuming these beverages, so these these beverages are designed to boost your energy, to um, to taste good, for you to want more of them, to be hyper palatable, right? Like this is literally what they're designed to be. The problem is, Chuck, is that when we consume these beverages, we're not just doing this once in a while. The vast majority of people who are doing this, this is a routine thing. This is potentially a daily thing. This is potentially multiple times a day. That's when things become problematic because you are repeatedly exposing your microbiome to whatever is in that product when you are consuming it multiple times per day. Now, I am a coffee drinker. I'm very open like, about my love, my passion for drinking coffee. I, it's, I do it every single day. Um, there are some people, by the way, who it's not for them, and I get that, and I'm, we can talk about that if you want to, but... The key here is that I used to be two to three packets of Splenda every single day in every single coffee drink. And that was, if you started adding it up at the end of a week, just in my coffee consumption, we're talking about double digits exposure to Splenda during the course of a week. And I got rid of it. And at first, I didn't really like it when I got rid of it because my body was very adapted to the taste of sweetness. That's what I wanted. That's what I was craving. So it took me a while to get used to the bitterness without that sweetness being there. But honestly, once I adapted to it, it took me probably six weeks. I never turned back. I actually have zero interest or zero desire to add those sweeteners to my coffee. So now I can enjoy coffee in its native state, several cups per day. And I'm actually providing my gut microbiome with polyphenols, healthy acids, And believe it or not, fiber. There's actually soluble fiber in coffee. So it has gone from an unhealthy beverage to a completely healthy beverage. This is my point, is that wherever possible, look, the once in a while treat is not my concern. My concern is the stuff that you're doing on a daily basis. That's where it it becomes an issue. Yeah, it's funny how your taste bud change, your taste buds change over time. Like literally before we sat down today, I was uh, getting a haircut and my stylist was telling me, he shocked me when it was like, yeah, man, I went back and I, I watched a couple of episodes that you did with, uh, what's that doctor's name? He's He's got that book, Fiber Fueled. I was like, Bullsplits? He's like, yeah, I love that guy. I was like, cool. And he starts talking about how because of something you said, he started pulling half and half out of his coffee, and now he just drinks it black, but it took him time to get adjusted to it. But he said, you know, I was like, but you know what? Did you find that you kind of have a more sophisticated palate now with the different types of roasts and you have a greater appreciation for the coffee because you're actually tasting the bean now? He's like, yeah, absolutely I do. So how long do you think it takes the average person to kind of get adapted to getting all of that sweet stuff out of the system so that they then can appreciate coffee, whatever their beverage of choices, maybe it's iced tea, uh, without all that sweet? Uh, My experience is typically somewhere in the range of four to eight weeks is what it takes a person to sort, sort of start to change their taste buds. And I this is not, I can't say that this is proven in the microbiome science. There is some animal model stuff that suggests this. 
But I do think, I suspect, Chuck, that it's a shift within our microbiome as our microbiome adapts to a new dietary pattern uh, that that actually allows our taste buds to change. Because by the way, four weeks is kind of the range of what we see in terms of making a significant shift within the microbiome. So like if you if you if you remove the half and half, I used to drink the exact same cup of coffee. Half and half, two or three packs of Splenda. Um, and when you remove the half and half and the Splenda, like the microbes that were thriving on the half and half and the Splenda, they're upset. They're hungry. They want their daily, you know, feeding. And though, meanwhile, the microbes that thrive on the black coffee, they're getting fed, but they haven't really been the majority. They're the minority and they're starting to come up. So they're rising up. They're growing stronger over the course of four weeks. And in this process, those microbes that thrive on Splenda and the half and half, because you haven't been consuming it, they start to become diminished. And so basically, this is how you cause a shift within the microbiome. And this is, I think, the reason why uh, taste buds change in four to eight weeks. Well, shout out to my guy, Gareth, at Brit Hairstyle in Southern Maryland. Does a great job. That's where I'm going. <laughs> he got both of your books, man. He didn't just stop with Fiber Fueled Original. He's like, no, man, I'm getting that cookbook too, Jack. I'll have him, I'll have him cut off my rat tail on the back. No. I'm no, just no, kidding. No, I don't have no, rat no, 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 no. I was like, I'm sorry. This is your last time appearing on the show. If you've got a rat tail, I'm sorry. We just, it would be cool if I just flipped out a ponytail, though. It'd be like totally caught you off guard. I mean, would it Would it really be cool? Would it? I so, I mean, I've been on the show so many times that it would be a total shock. It would uh, what a shock is right. A shock is a word I will give you. Cool, probably not so much, man. I'm not even sure rat tails were really cool when they were cool. You know what I mean? Cool is the reaction of a shocked Chuck in front of a live studio audience, bro. I just can't. I just can't with the rat tails. Um, so let's let's go back on previous episodes. You've talked about <laughs> your. <laughs> that's the first time that's come up on the show. Uh, you, the, the rat tail man. Uh, we've talked about the spices that you now carry with you and you put into your cup of coffee, even when you go to Starbucks. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, remind us of what that simple blend is, and then we'll take it from there because Caroline has a question about that. Okay, cool. So I mean. First of all, you want to keep it super simple. Just go with cinnamon. That's a great entry point. Cinnamon pairs so well with coffee. Um, and you can add it however you feel most comfortable. You could put it at the bottom of the cup and then pour over, like pour the coffee over the cinnamon. Um, you can put the cinnamon in the top and to stir or not to stir is really your choice. You will taste it more if you don't stir it. Or you can even add it to your to your brew when you're actually brewing it. So like add it to the coffee grounds and put some cinnamon in there and you will find that flavor come through. Um, so that's a good starting point. But my holy trinity for spices are cinnamon, ginger, and turmeric. Now, if you were to hypothetically just put, cin- just put ginger or just put turmeric in your coffee, you'd probably be like, you know, it's kind of weird. But when you put this three, these three together, cinnamon, ginger, and turmeric, put them together. There's something about the combination that provides balance. I think the cinnamon has a little bit of a sweetness that offsets the punchiness of both the ginger and the turmeric, and it kind of smooths them out. But the beauty of this is like, Chuck, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, variety is the spice of life. And I'm here to say, look, variety of spices are good for the microbiome too. 
would you count each of those uh the the turmeric the cinnamon all of that would you would you count each of those also toward you know the plant diversity total for the week let me put it to you this way i do want you to add a variety of spices into the mix as many different spices as possible i do want you to do that what i don't want you to do is start like hacking the formula to get to 30 as quickly as possible and then call it quits and say, I've taken care of my gut for the week, right? So I don't want you doing the five, like the five or seven Italian spice blend and being like, Ooh, there's seven, seven plant points. Add that to the, you know, three points for my coffee this morning and I'm already at 10. And then when you get to 30, you stop. I don't want you to do that, but I do want you to add as much variety to it. So I am cool with you counting spices as long as you continue to strive higher and higher and higher in terms of your plant diversity and don't stop at 30. I'm cool with counting spices too. Still not cool with a rat tail though. Um, <laughs> couch this next question uh, from Caroline. <laughs> We're going to couch this next one with, for, uh, like, please work with your primary care physician when you're trying to make some changes to your diet, your health, um, especially when you you start to notice like some things change. Caroline says, uh, I've heard you guys talk a lot about turmeric in the past. It's great for inflammation, but I feel like since I've added that, uh, I've begun to experience some diarrhea and had some abdominal pain. Um, is there any sort of connection that you're aware of with turmeric and adverse reaction, or could that be more symptomatic of something else that's going on? Well, it's hard to completely know. Um, you know obviously, we're not dealing with the entire history here, so we're just sort of giving this this basic context. But one of the things that definitely does exist, Chuck, is histamine intolerance. And spices can be a common trigger for people who have histamine intolerance. So it's something I think to be aware of. I actually covered this topic in great detail in my second book, The Fiber Fuels Cookbook. So if you're trying to figure out you know, what is causing your digestive symptoms, you're trying to work through that process. That's actually what that book is designed to do, including a, an entire protocol with recipes to help you figure out if, it, if in fact it is histamine intolerance. All right, let's grab a couple of more here before we wrap things up. Uh, Two-parter from Catherine. Number one, has Chuck tried eating a kiwi with a peel on it yet? We were talking about that the other episode um, when we were holding up the fiber That's peel. question, Chuck. Yeah, no, the answer is no. Oh. Um, I just, I've not been able to, uh, put on my brave pants yet to try this. I just haven't. I don't know. Maybe it makes me less of a man. Is that texture thing? I, I, it just doesn't seem, there are certain things, Dr. B, in life that seem very natural and wholesome and like the right thing to do. And eating a kiwi with the furry skin still on does not seem to me to be one of those things. It you, just doesn't. Are you a picky eater, Chuck? Am I a picky eater? I can be. But there's there's right and there's wrong in this life. And I just honestly believe that eating the kiwi with the skin still on, that might fall in the wrong category, bro. It just may for me. It may be right for a lot of other people, but in my personal two buckets, right and wrong, I'm pretty sure the kiwi's going over here with the skin on. I mean, <laughs> it's one of these things, Chuck, you know, it's like when people are doing the paleo diet and they're like, I, I'm not going to eat beans. I'm not going to eat whole grains. I'm like, give those beans, give those whole grains to me. I will gladly take the, the longer life expectancy, lower risk of heart disease, lower risk of cancer from you. And Chuck, <laughs> if you don't want your, your kiwis, 
Pass them to me. I'll eat them skin on, skin off. I'm not a picky eater when it comes to kiwis. I'm a happy man. Although I will say I probably wouldn't bite. So I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little bit picky. I don't know that I would bite into the furry kiwi like that, like whole. Mm. I would quarter it. I would quarter it. And then by quartering it, I just bite into the top. Okay, so now, now like that's a horse of a different color. Okay, because now you're not talking, like I've always envisioned biting into it like it's an apple. And I'm just like, no, that's wrong. What if you cut it into quarters? Would right, you if it was a slice or something like that, possibly more palatable. I would definitely be more open to the idea, but I am still not willing on this day to commit to that bit. Just can't say that I'm right. is about the most wishy-washy <laughs> comment I've ever heard about whether a food is palatable. I'm couching uh, it. I'm couching it. This is true. But it just, I mean, for the love of Pearl, people, I mean, hit me up on Instagram, on threads now, at Chuck Carroll WLC. Hit up Dr. B there too. Just be like, look, thumbs up, thumbs down with the kiwi with the skin. I don't know. I'm curious to know where the exam roomies fall with all of this, to be perfectly honest with you. I think we're living in a divided country when it comes to the kiwi, my friend. Let us know, you guys. Let us know what you think about the kiwi. Is it skin on, skin off? Is it no kiwi at all? My thing is kiwis, man. I like them. But apparently not, not everyone does. I'm a fan of the kiwi. I just, the skin, man. The skin. But the same way, I can't see in it. I cannot see eating an apple without skin either. Right, gotta have the skin on. So the kiwi's just the exact opposite. I don't know. Do what's good for you. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we can turn it into a fundraiser. You know, pony up, pony up, and I'll eat the kiwi with the skin. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's uh, pcrm.org/slash/donations. Uh, Catherine, here's the second part. Uh, completely unrelated. Does fasting starve both good and bad gut bacteria? That's an interesting one. Well, I I think that your gut needs sort of a scrub cycle. In a way, you know, it's um, it's an opportunity for your gut to rest and recalibrate. And so now, it's hard for me to completely answer this, Chuck, because uh, the microbes are constantly changing, whether we eat, whether we don't eat, and certain microbes within a certain context can be good or bad. So it's. It's, there's a lot of complexity to to this in a way, but I think at the end of the day, when you look at the metabolic benefits that people receive from time-restricted eating, I think like in terms of improved insulin sensitivity, uh, less uh, hunger, less cravings, more dietary control, um, to me... Uh, I, I I think that the benefits outweigh any sort of negatives, that's for sure. All right, final question. I'm, I'm on the fence about asking you this one that was sent in by a mutual friend of ours. It's really kind of a landmine question, and I'm not sure how in the world you're going to navigate this. So I'm just going to ask you. Lauren Kretzer went ahead and sent in this question, and she wants to know, who, Dr. B, is your favorite recipe developer? Good luck with that. I leave it to you. <laughs> oh gosh, that is a horribly challenging question because I've been I've been blessed to work with some amazing people, um, and I have different projects with different partners that uh, I've collaborated with. So, Warren Kretzer, I have worked with on a number of projects, including my Plant Fed Gut Masterclass, and I'm quite proud of the evolution of the Masterclass, which, by the way, is launching this week. 
So for anyone who's interested, now is the opportunity to jump on board and join the Summertime Masterclass. Uh, Chuck, I offer it once a year. It's seven weeks. There's live elements with me. There are live interviews. There are Q&As. But there's also video lessons, audio lessons, journal clubs. There's an entire library of resources. There is uh, a, an extensive workbook, which is basically like an entire book that I've written. So there's basically like, this is my top, top course. And as a part of this course, Lauren has developed 27 unique recipes that you will not find anywhere else. And they are spectacular. So all I can say is for those who are interested, come uh, check out the, the Plant-Fed Gut Masterclass as you're showing there, Chuck. And um, hope to see a couple of you in the class of 2023. Absolutely. And look, we've dropped a link to that registration right now in the show description uh, or in the episode notes if you're listening to the podcast. Absolutely want to uh, link up with that. By the way, uh, Lauren Kretzer uh, is also going to be at the big live show in New York City. If you're watching this uh, on day one, then uh, it's tonight, July 12th in New York City. Lauren Kretzer uh, will be joining us in New York with uh, myself. Dr. Neil Barnard's going to be there. Rip Esselstyn, he's going to be there. Dr. Rob Osfeld, Dr. Michelle McMacken. So many wonderful people are going to be in attendance that night, man. It's going to be amazing. Bro, I really wish from the bottom of my heart that you could be there as well, man. It would just be an epic night. Um, and you would be the icing on that delicious plant-based cake, bro. I mean, we have to do it. I definitely think this needs to happen. I think so, too. group, though, for sure. That's an amazing group of people. Oh, yeah, man. So look, right below the registration for the masterclass is the link to get your tickets. Maybe we can squeeze one or two more people still in if you're in the New York area. So go on and click that uh, pcrm.org slash events or click that link. Um, and definitely want to get in Dr. B's masterclass. And I know uh, the people who have gone through your masterclass Man, I mean, they just rave about it. For anybody to get like 95 to 98% thumbs up, would recommend this, would do it again type reviews. I mean, that's really saying something. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what really ultimately matters to me is um, like the measure The measure of success is, is this making an impact? Is this helping people? Would they, would they ask or recommend this to their friend? And what I've consistently had through the through the years, through the classes that have come through my program is 95 to 98% of people, the answer is yes, they would recommend to their friend. And then, you know, what I always say in the very beginning is that everyone is going to have their aha moment. And it's just a question of when. And the amazing thing, Chuck, is that the, that's what this masterclass delivers is aha moments. People who are finding what they're looking for there is this moment that exists within the course where all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and they discover what they've been missing, what they've been looking for. And that to me is like very, very special. I love when that happens because I literally am, I get to witness it myself. I'm there as a part of it. Eureka, baby. And like you went through that transformation with your own diet. So you know what these, what these guys and gals are going through themselves, man. And you know how rewarding it can be once you break through, have that aha moment and come out on the other side, man. It is a rich kind of wonderful. Yeah. And the gut is so connected to so many facets of what's, you know, sort of critical to our health. I mean, we're talking about obviously digestion, which is access to nutrients, which is like it's our life force. 
Um, but beyond that, our metabolism, our immune system, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, the even the expression of our genetic code, basically you are rising the tide. You are rising the tide on human health when you enhance the health of your gut microbiome. And this course is for people of all different types and varieties. Like I said, different people have their aha moments at different times within the course. It's not just this one thing, but I have healthcare practitioners. I have people who have no gut issues, but they just want to be as healthy as possible. I have people who do have gut health issues. And what's exciting is that they all manage to find what they're looking for. My man. All right. Well, here's the deal again. Masterclass, click that link. You will not regret it. Guaranteed, my friends. Dr. B, we got a lot more still to talk about, but we're fresh out of time today. So what I want to do is put a pin on the conversation for now. Bring you back again in about a month and we'll ride some more, my man. Sounds like a plan, Chuck. Thanks, brother. The Exam Room Live. Always love it when Dr. Will Bolsowitz is on. You know, I just, I love the Exam Room Live every single week. We do it Wednesdays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Set a reminder and mark your calendars right now. Every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and on the Facebook page. The Exam Roomies, get in there, ask so many great questions, fill up the doctor's mailbag so we can have extraordinary conversations just like the ones that we had today. And speaking of you exam roomies, also want to say a huge thank you to all of the roomies who joined us in New York. We had the big live show there finally, had such a great time with Rip Esselstyn and Drs. Neil Barnard and Rob Osfeld and Michelle McMacken. All the MDs were in the house and Rip. I mean, we just had the most heart healthy night ever. And I am so grateful that we saw so many fun faces in the Big Apple. And I can't wait to play that entire evening here on the podcast for you. We're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks. Really, just such a heart healthy night. And to hear Dr. McMacken talk about all of the progress that they've been making in New York in particular with the menus at the hospitals was just amazing. Talk about having a heart-healthy night, the most heart-healthy night ever. Well, a lot of people, heart disease being the leading cause of death in this country, go to the hospital because their hearts are in such bad shape. But then the menus they have there, hamburgers and french fries and barbecues, grilled cheese sandwiches. It's like, really? Is that really what we want to be serving people as they're trying to recover from something as sinister as a heart attack? It's not really going to be doing them much of a favor at all. So they're really shaking things up, Dr. McMacken and everything that Mayor Eric Adams and his team are doing there. It's just extraordinary, just extraordinary. So I can't wait for you to hear the entire conversation. We're going to be releasing that here on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Also coming up here on the show, the exam room live next week on the 19th, Dr. Neil Barnard will be my guest here. So get your questions ready. And then the following Wednesday, Dr. Jim Loomis from the Doc and Chef and the Game Changer. He will be joining us on Wednesday, July 26th, the head of the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, and that's going down August 10th through 12th in Washington, D.C. So really would love for you to join us for that as well. PCRM.org slash ICNM to get your tickets. So many extraordinary speakers that week. And uh, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of lives on Instagram and recording a boatload of episodes 
a boatload. Y'all, we're going to have so much great stuff to talk about. So ICNM, August 10th through 12th, pcrm.org slash ICNM to lock in your seats. Also coming up on the show, Doug Evans, the Sprout Master, he's going to be on soon. Samantha Harris, our favorite Emmy Award winning broadcaster, she's going to be back here. And then also had the opportunity to speak with someone who the Washington Post has dubbed the vegan Forrest Gump. And this is a gentleman by the name of Timmy Zoe. And Timmy, quite literally, just as Forrest did all those years ago in the movie, he ran across the entire country, started at the Venice Beach Pier in California and finished up in Central Park in New York. Such a cool story, a vegan runner, and man, this kid is in his early 20s. I can't wait to see what the future holds for him. So interesting conversation with Timmy on the way as well. But before we get to any of that, don't forget to sign up for Dr. Bolsowitz's masterclass. Remember, you can lock in your space for that at theplantfedgut.com. And one final ask, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and follow the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or subscribe on Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating. That's how we continue to put all of this extraordinary, potentially life-saving information out there to the people who need it the most. So if you could just take a minute to do that right now, we would be eternally grateful. And in the review, if you tell us a little bit about your own health story and how your own health is improved, we may be able to feature that here on the show as well. Links to everything, how to do that right now are in the episode notes. But for today, my friends, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time indeed to the Pharaoh of Fiber, the Prince of Poop, my dear friend, Dr. Will Bolswitz for being here and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Mm-hmm.